introduced me to Nate uh, in September, I think, and we've connected once since, so I'm just getting to know Nate. But Nate loves Jesus and the people of God. He's a church planner together with his wife here in Edmonton. I've been doing that. He may share a little bit more what he's doing with Send Network, but uh, loves Jesus, and he's here to share with us this morning. So blessings as you do that. Thank you, Pastor Dennis. Good morning. What a joy it is to be with you today. Um, first and foremost, I just want to say thank you to Jesus because uh, up until yesterday, Dennis, I didn't have a voice. Uh, so I was on the verge of calling you. I'm thinking to myself, oh, I'd hate to do this, right? I was counseling appointments all week long uh, because of this cold that's going around, this congestion that's right here. And every time I opened my mouth, I would just cough, and it was just really just this lingering uh, this thing in my, my, my chest. But I thank God that I have a voice today, and so uh, I, I hope uh, that you can make sense of what's coming out of my mouth as I'm speaking to you today. Um, but as Pastor Dennis has shared, uh, it is such a joy to be with you, and I do love Jesus. And I thank Jesus for his family. I thank you that we have a family here in Millwoods, uh, a Mennonite family. Uh, I come from a Baptist background, but interestingly enough, I, my roots are in Mennonite. Um, I, I grew up in Winnipeg, Manitoba, born and raised Mennonite country. I attended Winnipeg Mennonite Elementary School for six years. Uh, I was one of only two Asian people in our school. The only other Asian person was my brother. And so, uh, <laughs> interestingly enough, I grew up with the Barkmans and the Dicks and the Rhymers and, and all of the um, good old-fashioned discipline that comes with Mennonite uh, training. Uh, thank you so much. And so, uh, again, just fond memories of my time in Winnipeg. In fact, uh, we, it was mandatory that we learned German, right, in, in elementary school. And in, because it's Manitoba, we had to also learn French. So interestingly enough, I had to learn French and German even before I learned Filipino. So I'm, I'm Filipino, born and raised in Canada, but I didn't learn my own ethnic language until I was about 18 years old. Isn't that funny? So, sprechen die Deutsch? Yeah. You know, eins, zwei, drei, vier, fünf, sechs, sieben. Like, how weird is that, that a Filipino guy can speak German? So, das ist gut, yeah? Uh, <laughs> but um, I'm, I am grateful, again, to be with you. And as Pastor Dennis has shared, uh, my wife and I, uh, she's here with me today. So, this is my wife, Adele. That's her given name. But everyone calls her Dindin. So, everybody say hi, Dindin. <laughs> and she's the love of my life. We've been married now for 22 years. Uh, so that means we were married when we were 10 years old. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. A lot of people look at us and are like, 22 years? How old were you when you got married? And like, no, we, we were at the right age when we got married. Uh, but it's that Asian persuasion. We can maintain our youthfulness until we hit 60. When we hit 60, all of a sudden, I saw this in my dad's life. As soon as he turned 60, it was like downhill immediately. And so I'm going to hold on to it till I'm 60. Uh, but my wife and I, um, we have three amazing kids. We have a 19-year-old daughter. Her name is Karis. Uh, a 17-year-old son. His name is Malachi. And a 13-year-old daughter who will be 14 this week, uh, Jasmine. And so together as a family, we have the joy and privilege of serving the Lord here in the Edmonton area. Over the last 20 years or so of ministry, we've been privileged to be part of church planting all across uh, Canada, Calgary, uh, specifically Edmonton, and Winnipeg. Uh, we went back to Winnipeg. Born and raised in Winnipeg, moved out to Alberta, moved back to Winnipeg. So you know God has church planting on my heart because no one moves back to Winnipeg. Uh, but for the last 10 years, we've been here in the Edmonton area, 
and the Lord has allowed us to work in the inner city. Uh, we worked for, for Hope Mission for a number of years and loved that. And then God called us back to church planting. So we planted a church out in the West End, and by God's grace, and through all the challenges uh, that we've gone through in the last couple of years, the church is, is, is thriving and growing. Uh, and then God has led me to be a part of the SEND network. And that means I get to wake up every single morning praying for Edmonton, praying that God would bring revival to this great city, praying that God would stir the hearts of people, of his people, uh, so that we would again bring honor and glory and praise to our God. And so again, church, I am so glad and honored to be with you this morning. Um, a week ago, my wife and I, along with uh, six of people from our church, were in Cuba, believe it or not. Uh, and I, I had actually picked up this, this cold before we left for Cuba. And while in Cuba, it seemed, seemed we were okay, but we were there on mission. We were there serving the people of Cuba. And, and I, I don't want to go into too much detail about what we did there, but as some of you might know, Cuba has encountered incredible oppression and uh, for various reasons, but the church is doing well. The church is doing well. They have no food. Let me just give you a quick perspective. The average pastor or the average Cuban person makes about $30 American per month. Now, as you factor that in, you're probably thinking, well, I mean, you know, rationally speaking, it should, it should be like, for example, the cost of food would be low. Well, no. Cost of food is about international prices, and in fact, even more. So you're talking about an incredibly poor country, but with incredibly high inflation. And so they are experiencing the most oppression I've ever seen of any country. In fact, one of our translators said, we, we are a first world country with third world problems. Imagine that. And so as you uh, think about Cuba, would you remember them? Uh, even, even now as I'm preaching here today, standing before you, my mind goes back to a week ago where I was surrounded by my Cuban brothers and sisters, and even in the midst of incredible poverty, in the midst of incredible oppression by the government, they are still praising God, and they are saying, we will not be silent. And one of the words my, my daughter said to them was, was, God is going to use Cuba to be a light for, for the world. As God sends out people, two million Cubans have fled uh, Cuba in the last four years. That's 10% of the population because of the oppression. Can you imagine 10% of the population leaving a country, taking with it the best and the brightest, the youngest, the hope for the future? And so right now, and, and interestingly enough, in, in Cuba, they have about, uh, what is it, five hours of electricity a day? And so at any given time throughout the night, everything just shuts down. And all of a sudden, it's just darkness. There's this one spot on the globe, in, 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 in right here in the world, and it's just complete darkness. But the voices that rise up in the midst of the darkness proclaim and profess the light of the world that we just sung. So continue to pray for them. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 14. We'll be spending the, most, the majority of our time there. But um, today, and I'm going to see if this works here, we're going to talk about, um, uh, about the last couple of years and just the challenges that we've gone through. And uh, I'm just going to go real quick here. And you'll remember, and, and, and I want to take time to really just process with you just some of the things that we've gone through together uh, globally as the church. Now, at the beginning of this pandemic, you'll remember that the narrative that was going around was the story that we are all in the same boat. In other words, we're trying to, to create uniformity, conformity to whatever is happening around us. And so just suck it up and, and remind yourself that we are all in the same boat. You remember how it was just even two and a half years ago? We were struggling for toilet paper 
for goodness sake. You remember standing in line and watching the lady in front of you or the person in front of you with loads of, of toilet paper. And I remember thinking to myself, should I get more toilet paper? And I went to the toilet paper aisle, and there was no more toilet paper. <coughs> so I found myself going to the janitorial section and grabbing whatever I could find. And it's just crazy to think that we had gone through this, this global pandemic and all the challenges that we've encountered. You remember those, right? Um, but the reality was, though we were all you know, going through challenges, we were not in the same boat. And even as churches, as Christians, as individuals, we were all navigating this pandemic a little bit differently, were we? There were those of us who had bigger boats. For example, with, my, with the churches that I work with, the majority of our churches don't have facilities. They don't have buildings. So what do you do? Our church plant doesn't have a building. And so we had to pivot and swivel right there on the spot. All of a sudden, we're having to learn online church. All of a sudden, we're going to have to learn how to, to you know, use the, the cameras. And I have no idea how to do all these things. And I remember thinking to myself, Pastor Dennis, I can't do this. This is ridiculous. I remember sitting in front of the camera recording my message one, one Saturday. I think, okay, I'm just going to record my message, upload it, and then that way the message will be ready for Sunday because the live streaming thing was not working for us. And so I would upload my message. But there was one time, I kid you not, I recorded the message. I gave it my best. And then I, I looked at my phone as I was recording. And, and my wife looked at me and she's like, you didn't record it. I'm like, what? You forgot to hit record. I was like, oh my goodness. And then I said, okay, Lord, I gave it my, I'm going to give it a second shot. So I did it a second time. And as I preached, I said, oh wow, that was a new insight that I didn't have before. So I'm thinking to myself, this is better than the first time. My wife looks at me and she's like, there was no audio. And in my mind, I'm thinking, God, I'm done. I'm tired. And that was just an example of what many churches have gone through. A lot of challenges that our pastors have gone through in the last three years. Leading a congregation through the polarizing opinions of, of the pandemic. And so I want to say thank you to your pastor today. In fact, let's give uh, him honor today to say thank you, Pastor Dennis, and his wife as well for being a servant of God, navigating your congregation and your flock through this very challenging time. And I pray that your pastor would have extra amount of strength leading. So we realize we're not all in the same boat, but we are in the same storm. And we all encountered corporately, globally, this pandemic. Not one single person wasn't touched by it. It doesn't matter where you were in the world. But the reality is we are now, as much as we want to put the pandemic behind us, we are now seeing the cascading effects of the pandemic. We are seeing what is happening to us financially, economically, globally, physically. I wasn't sick for the last three years. And so, you know, when I finally got sick, I'm thinking to myself, this is unusual. And so oftentimes we go through these challenges and, and these storms and we just want to get right through it. But the reality is we have to pause and learn lessons. There is purpose in the pain that we go through. There's a reason for why we must encounter the storms of life. And it's been said that you'll either, you're either going through a storm right now or you will eventually go through a storm. It's just the reality of life. And in the midst of this pain and in the midst of this pandemic, C.S. Lewis 
reminds us that, that it's in uh, the, the whispers. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciousness, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And here's the thing, that when God speaks, it is directly to his people first and foremost. How else could you not hear and understand if it's the words of God if it's not God speaking to you? It's not necessarily for a world that doesn't know Christ because they don't know his word, they don't have his spirit, they don't understand his word. And so when there's pain that comes to us, we, through the lens of Scripture, empowered by the Holy Spirit, begin to interpret the pain. There is purpose in our pain. God doesn't just arbitrarily place something upon you and say, okay, that's over and done with, on to the next thing. Over the last uh, little while as I'm processing this, I, I realize that all throughout history, all throughout the words of God, we see that these are some of the things that God does. Here's the purpose and the reason for why we encounter storms or why we go through the pains that we do go through. And, and we see that God is pruning his people. God prunes us. We see this in John chapter 15. I'm not going to go through these points. All of these points are a message in itself. But secondly, God's purifying like a refining fire. He's taking the things in us as believers that are no longer needed and he's burning it away. And just like a brother shared earlier, like fasting, we no longer crave for the things that we once craved for, right? As we, we, we turn to Jesus, he becomes our everything, everything we want. We no longer desire the comforts of this world. And that's, again, the reality of why we go through the storms of life. Thirdly, he, he's preparing us for something. Like I said earlier, it's not just simply because God enjoys, you know, applying pain and pressure, but he's preparing you. We see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that God is using you as his workmanship. That word in the Greek is poieo. That's where we get the English word poem. You are God's poem. You're his poetry. You're a song. And then thirdly, God is positioning you, Sunrise Community Church. Even before the foundation of this building was established here in the Millwoods area, even before families were moving here, God has already been positioning you to be the salt and the light right here, to make Jesus known. Amen? Amen. Acts 1.8, Matthew 28, 18-20. That's not even the message. That's just the pump. They're just priming the pump. But there are certain lessons of faith that you can only learn through the storms of life. And it's these lessons that we must learn, or they'll continue to come over and over and over and over again. As a I was thinking about this, this message. I was contrasting the various storms we see throughout the Bible. We're going to be spending our time in Matthew 14, but, but remember in Matthew chapter 8, uh, the disciples were going through a similar storm, a storm that was uh, categorically just something beyond them. And you have to remember that, that these weren't just, you know, like they weren't city boys that were not uh, used to, to, to storms. They knew how to navigate the water. They weren't like me. I'm a city boy. Born and raised here in the city. I love the city. When I was in Cuba, I was so out of my element. I was walking in through the jungles. Everything was biting at me. My daughter looked at me. She says, well, Dad, it's just like Jurassic Park. You know, everything is meant to, to kill you. I'm like, so be it, right? And it was just so out of my comfort zone. 
And, and we see in Matthew 8 that the disciples, again, going through something similar, a storm that was out of their control. And in the midst of the storm, we see Jesus. And what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping because Jesus is not worried by the storms of life. And in Matthew chapter 8, we learn several things about Jesus. Number one, we're calm. Jesus is calm even in the midst of the storm. He is calm. He is cool. He is collected. He is not worried about what's going on. He gives us the example of just simply resting. But not only that, but as he arises from the, the calls of the people, his disciples, he also calms the storms around you. But here's the thing in Matthew chapter 8, the lesson that the, the disciples pulled from that moment was that, was that Jesus was a great man, a man who had power over the elements. And so as we look at Matthew uh, chapter 8 again, it says, this is how they, they responded. He said, the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? This was their takeaway. But I, I encourage you today to understand that, that Jesus wants to take you further, deeper in his understanding of who he is. He simply doesn't want to save you from whatever ailments you're encountering right now, but he also wants to sanctify you and utilize you for his glory and for your good. My message is simply entitled, What Keeps Your Boat Afloat Today? What keeps you afloat? What keeps you moving? What keeps you going forward? Is it your family? Is it your job? Is it that stubborn desire and will to just continue moving forward? But what is it that keeps you afloat in the midst of life's storms? Matthew 14, verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. The word ghost there is actually phantom. It's not Casper, the friendly ghost. This is the only time this word is used. And so it was something that was very, it was a treacherous, something that they could not comprehend. It's a ghost. They cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. I circled the word immediately. I highlighted because I just see the intensity and intentionality of Jesus. Let's go on to the passage in verse 28. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I want to challenge you today to simply move in your understanding of Jesus from someone who is just a healer, a prophet, a teacher, to someone who has control over all of the universe, and he invites you today to step out in faith with him. 
The first lesson I learned out of this passage is simply this. Our faith is rooted in the perfect will of God, the sovereignty of God, that God understands and orchestrates all things. We see this in verse 22. Look at this. He says, immediately he made the disciples. He forced them on this retreat. He's like, okay, guys, come over here. I'm going to take the 12 of you. I'm going to put you in this boat right now. I'm going to put you in this boat. I'm going to send you off. He says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him. So Jesus intentionally put them in the situation. See, the lesson or the application here that we need to pull from this is that Jesus knows where you are. Jesus knows what you're encountering. Jesus knows what you're going through. It's not like all of a sudden he woke up from his slumber and realized, there's a pandemic? Oh my goodness, I am so sorry, planet Earth. I, I completely slipped my mind. Back to I'll get back on track and I'll figure this thing out for you. Right? No. Because all throughout Scripture, we see that God utilizes events such as these to get our attention. That God allows us, intentionally puts us in these positions. So if you find yourself in a position where you are feeling absolutely and just absolutely and utterly incapable, incompetent, and weak, like the Apostle Paul, you say, praise God, for in my weakness you are made strong. Look at this. I love how, how Jesus, after immediately putting them in the boat, what does he do? Unlike Matthew chapter 8, he's not in the boat with them. Instead, Jesus goes ahead of them. I don't know how he did it. He just floated. He flew. He jumped. I don't know. But he, he dismissed the crowds. He dismissed the disciples. And he goes up to this mountaintop to pray. See, even in the midst of life storms, in the midst of life challenges, Jesus already understood the secret of staying tethered, of staying anchored to the Father. That without that, that connectedness, he could do nothing. He was incapable of doing anything. Church, we have to understand the power that we have of the Holy Spirit. And I understand that some of you did the Holy Spirit Week Retreat, right? And I'm excited to see what God produces out of these moments. But so often, I think we neglect the power that we can tap into, especially here in North America. Whereas in places like Cuba or even in the Philippines, there's such a lack of resources. You know what I mean? They just make up games on the spot because they don't have resources. But here in North America, we need an Xbox, we need a PS, whatever it is. We need cell phones to keep us busy. But goodness sake, in places where they don't have any resources, they just simply make it up. And one of the lessons I learned from my time in Cuba is that although they don't have many resources, they know how to go to the source, the source of all resources. And that source is accessible even to us today. How many of you guys saw the movie Top Gun, Maverick? It's okay to admit it, confess it here, it's all right. Pastor Dennis, straight up, yeah, I watched it. I watched it three times, and then I bought it. I watched it with my family, then I took my pastors to watch it with me. It was a moment of bonding and crying together as we bonded over Top Gun Maverick. But there was one scene in particular, and I hope that doesn't give the movie away. But in this one scene, the character of Tom Cruise Maverick walks into this room of, of young hotshot pilots, and he's carrying in his hand the manual for the, the F-19, something like that, and he holds it up and he says, do you all know what this is? 
And each guy would say, yeah, I know what that is. That's, that's uh, the manual for this, this, that. And do you know, I know it back and forth. They were all kind of cocky, right? Because they knew the manual back and forth. And Maverick takes that manual and he throws it into the garbage can. You remember that scene? For those of you who watched it, and he looked at the hotshot pilots and he said, that's good, but your enemy knows the manual as well. And in that moment, it just hit me, Pastor Dennis, how oftentimes we as Christians, we fall in love with the Word of God, which is so important. We need to love the Word of Jesus, but oftentimes we maybe elevate it to a point of bibliolatry where we worship the Bible instead of the God of the Bible, right? We use the words of God to, to overpower other people. I know more than you, therefore I'm better than you, so forth and so on. We've seen all throughout history. But Maverick points to the pilots and he says, although your enemy knows this better than you, and we have an enemy, let's not kid ourselves here in North America. His name is Satan, who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And guess what? He knows the word. He doesn't obey the word, but he knows the word. He knows it in every language, back and forth, the Greek, the Aramaic, the Hebrew, Chinese, Filipino, Spanish, Punjabi, you name it, he knows it. But Tom Cruise says to the pilots, the enemy doesn't know what is in you, what is in you as pilots. And, and I took that and I thought to myself, although the enemy comes at us, he doesn't know the power of the Holy Spirit within us. He doesn't know what is unleashed when we surrender ourselves completely to the Holy Spirit working in and through us. I'm not talking about supernatural, you know, just waves of... I'm not talking about, you know, that kind of Harry Potter magic stuff. I'm talking about simple obedience to the Word of God. When you read something, you say, I will obey it, Jesus, because you are calling me to, to, to do this. You will empower me to share the gospel with my co-worker at Sobeys. Lord, you will heal me of the diseases and the sickness. I will trust you. You will help me to keep the boat afloat. So as Jesus prays, he's anchored to that truth. Not only is he anchored to that truth, but as he's praying, he's praying for his disciples. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That Jesus, while you go through the storms of life, isn't simply there to save you, to pull you from that experience, although you want him to. God, help me. Lord, save my child. You've talked about losing uh, loved ones in the last two months. How many of you here have lost loved ones? How many of you here over the last, you know, three years? We've already buried eight people. Two of my friends who are the same age as me in my mid-40s. Heart attacks and strokes. How's that happening? Pastors. Wow. It is a time of mourning. And you ask me, how is it possible? It's only possible because we are tethered to the Father. Jesus is praying for us. Jesus is interceding for you at the right hand of God. I love this quote by Oswald Chambers. He says, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Secondly, our faith is tested by the storms of life. The storms of life allow us to grow. It forces us to move beyond our place of comfort. Guess what, church? Our comfort isn't the highest priority of our Savior. Our comfort isn't his priority that you would receive all these things. 
His priority, first and foremost, is that your faith would be solid in Him. Look at this in verse 24. The boat by this time was a long way from the land. In other words, they were far. They couldn't turn back. They were heading west. The wind was coming from the west. It was this perfect storm that they found themselves in. Beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. In the other cross-references, and in, in Mark and John, you, you see how exhausted these disciples were. The word beaten can also be translated buffeted, battered, distressed. Their comfort, the things that they placed their trust in, was simply becoming dismantled right before them. In the NLT, is this what it says? The disciples were in trouble. How many of you ever felt that you were in trouble? Far away from a land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. How many of you here feel like you've been fighting heavy waves one after the other? A few weeks ago, I took our church planters to West Edmonton Mall um, as a family event, and it was fun. Uh, spent a lot of money for each family, and it was fun watching the kids go in the waves, but it was all controlled. And every, so sec- every few seconds, you'd hear... And it's the security or the lifeguard telling someone to stop, you know, doing this, this, or that. Well, last week we were in Cuba by the Atlantic Ocean in the middle of paradise. And I tell you, there were no security guards there. I'm sure there were sharks swimming around the water, but we were just enjoying our time at a fraction of the cost. But the waves were uncontrollable, not like the West Edmonton Mall. And I remember sitting there with my wife. And all of a sudden, we were pulled by this undertow, right? The tide was pulling us out to the ocean. I'm saying, babe, hold on to me. This is not West Edmonton Mall anymore. But it's this idea that all of the waters combined were pulling them, fighting against them, battering them. How do you feel like this man in this picture? God, I've come to the end of my rope. It's just been too much. It's just been such a struggle. Well, I love the fact that we have a Savior that knows our pains, that knows our strains, and knows the struggles we go through. Interestingly enough, that word battered, buffeted, is similar to what Jesus encountered, where he himself was beaten and struck with their fists while others slapped them. And I think it's in moments where we find ourselves absolutely strained and stressed, that we focus on the cross of Christ. I know it's Easter, or sorry, Christmas coming up, but there's something beautiful about understanding the cradle in the shadow of the cross. You know, knowing that this beautiful baby born to the virgin would live the life that we should be living, but then would be dying the death that we deserved, but would be resurrected and would be sitting at the right hand of God interceding on our behalf. Second Corinthians reminds us we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. The cross, the crucified Christ, the gospel dwells within us. We always carry around in our body the death of Christ. 
That's why day by day we remind ourselves to die to ourselves. Let's move on. Going back to verse 25. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. So this is about three in the morning, six o'clock, okay? So for about nine hours, they were battling these waves. Could you imagine? I could barely tread water for two minutes. While we were in the ocean, I'm like, I'm done. Get me back on the beach. They, they, they were joking. Uh, they, looked, they would look at me, and I'm a big guy compared to a lot of the Cubans out there. First thing they saw to me, this is what they said. First thing they said when they saw me was, wow, you eat a lot, don't you? I'm like, yes, yes, I do. I do. It's part of the job. But in Cuba, my friends, I tell you, there's no food. They, they eat maybe one meal a day. Uh, what we did while we were there was to host a retreat for pastors and then for students. So we were able to pay for, for their meals. But each meal was simply this, rice, beans, banana. Very little protein. That's their normal meal. Jesus comes to the disciples in the midst of their struggle, nine hours of fighting this battle, walking on the sea, and the disciples saw him. They were terrified, and he says, it is I. Take heart. Friends, I just want to encourage you today that wherever you are in your storm, or if you're preparing to go through a storm, all throughout Scripture, Jesus says, take heart. It is I. I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. No matter what you're encountering, I have already gone before you. He is the voice of truth in the midst of our chaos, in the midst of all the challenges where it does not make sense. He speaks truth, and his truth is his word. And as we obey his word, he is empowering us to do his will. Thirdly, our faith is strengthened by the presence of Jesus. Amen? We keep our eyes focused on Jesus. What keeps your boat afloat? It's Jesus. The word joy, and Tim Keller, pastor out in New York, made this uh, evident for me. But the word joy in the Greek is the word kara. But this word joy simply is more than just being happy. It's more than just about the circumstances that you find yourself in. And it's more than just being resilient, but it's about being buoyant. The idea of sinking, but coming back to the surface. Imagine a ball, taking a ball in the midst of the ocean and submerging it under the water. What happens to that inflated ball? What will it do? Come on, what will it do? It goes right back up. Why? Because of what's inside that ball. No matter how much water, you can have the entire ocean or the sea submerge that ball, that small tennis ball, we'll call him Wilson, you know, and because he's submerged, no matter what, how much it submerges him, he will always rise up. Amen? Why? Because he is buoyant. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is what makes us buoyant. It's Christ in you. It's not about your education, your experiences, or your abilities. Far from it. It's about Christ in each and every one of us here. Amen? To the glory of God, our faith is strengthened by the presence of Jesus working, building in us the resiliency and the buoyancy to rise up. Isn't it interesting that these disciples went through so many storms? And I'm sure they've gone through other storms in life. But here's the thing. 
Maybe they didn't learn the lesson the first time. Oftentimes you'll find yourself encountering the same thing. As David Jeremiah says, it's not that God is trying to, to throw multiple tests at you. What he's trying to do is teach you one thing in multiple ways. So what are the multiple things that, are, that he is using to teach you? And here Peter responds. I love Peter. Interestingly enough, Peter was one of the only guys. He's one of the oldest guys. And so for Peter to leave everything and follow Jesus was a big sacrifice for him. He's about the same age of Jesus. You know, and how many guys follow people who are the same age as you? Typically, it's people who are 10 years younger, which were the majority of the disciples. But Peter knew what it meant to count the cost of following Jesus. And in this passage, he sees Jesus. He knows that it's Jesus. And he says, so this is going to be different. He says, invite me, Jesus. How many of you here would be as bold and tenacious as Peter to say, invite me, Jesus, into the midst of the storm? Not many of us would. Not many of us should. And it shouldn't be a normal thing that we do to invite us in the midst of the storm. But I tell you, our Cuban brothers and sisters who have gone through so much persecution, pray this on a daily basis. Invite me, Jesus, into the storm. Come. That's all Jesus says. Come. You see, an encounter with Jesus will always move you to respond. It will either cause you to, to respond away from him, as we've seen with a rich young ruler, or it will cause you to move towards him. And in this situation, Jesus calls Peter, and he moves towards Peter, or Peter moves towards him. I love this passage. It says that when he saw the wind, he was afraid, obviously. I mean, it's human, humanity, human fears that, that come in. And, and he cries out to the Lord, save me. Again, the reminder that when you keep your eyes on Jesus, you will always rise. When you keep your eyes on Jesus, you won't sink. But the moment you blink, the moment you take your gaze off of him, you begin to drown. And oftentimes people have commented about how weak Peter's faith was in this passage. They would say, oh, if only Peter just kept his eyes on Jesus and focused on him, he would not encounter this. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever walked on water? <laughs> how many of you have ever attempted to walk on water? I've tried. I've sunk many times. But Peter, as far as I know, only two people have ever walked on water. And even if it was for just a moment, that encounter with Jesus would forever shape Peter's life. A God-sized task is always followed by human-sized fear and which will require a God-sized faith. Amen? Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? I love how one commenter explains it. He says, Jesus, looking into the eyes of drowning Peter, pulls him up from the water with a smile on his face rather than condemnation. How many times do we as Christians look at those who have fallen and failed with condemnation in our eyes and said, why did you screw up again? Seriously? Come on. You're grounded. Uh, that's, that's the uh, Mennonite in me growing up. I tell you, great, I got funny stories about that, Pastor Dennis. Grade 5, I was brought to Mr. Barkman's office, and uh, he said, well, Nathan, uh, we found out that you were doing something that you shouldn't be doing in school, and you know, as per our instructions, uh, uh, you know, per, per our rules, we, we, we used a strap 
So this is back in the days of corporal punishment, right? So I'm like, oh man, I'm preparing myself for the strap. And uh, Mr. Barkman called my mom and he said, Mrs. Vidoya, uh, your son was caught doing such and such a thing. And so with your permission, we would like to use the strap. And I'm sitting there in the office listening to this whole conversation. My mom says, no. And I'm thinking to myself, thank God my mom loves me. And she says, uh, his father and I will take care of it at home. And I'm thinking to myself, oh man, my life is over now. <laughs> um, and that's another story in itself. But I tell you, that's so much our nature, isn't it? To condemn and to look at them. But Jesus instead looks at Peter in love and looks at him and he says, my child, my son, you've attempted something that no one else has attempted. Come on up here. And he pulls him into the boat with him. Every experience of faithful obedience, no matter how big or small, is still an opportunity to experience Jesus and grow in your faith. Amen? I love that. I love this passage more than any other passage. Um, as pastors, we don't come to this position because we're the best, we're the brightest. Certainly not because of our looks. <laughs> but because we've learned to receive the grace of Jesus. And in this passage... The Apostle Paul, after explaining all the hardships he's gone through, reminds the church in Corinth that no matter what you go through, these words, my grace is sufficient. Jesus' words has helped them through the storms of life. My grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's sake I delight in weakness. That word grace is the the Greek word charis, it's my daughter's name. That, that in itself is a story. <sighs> Number four, and this is where we will end. As we see in this passage, the goal of our faith is not simply just to get through it. It's not simply just to encourage those around us, but it is to worship, to come into the presence of Jesus himself. In the, this scenario in Matthew 14, in contrast to Matthew chapter 8, you see the response of the disciples. It's not just simply marveling over how powerful Jesus is. They worshiped him. Worship is only reserved for God. The Jews understood that more than anyone else. We need to understand that today, that worship, everyone here worships something. But worship is only set aside for God. And in this response, the disciples says, you are the Son of God. As Jesus moves in you, you see Jesus moves around you. That he simply just takes you where you are, taking your faith, even though it's little. And we know through our scripture, he says, even if you got a little faith, you can move mountains. But as we encounter these storms, these storms are very real. And we have very different boats, very different resources. But here, as we wrap it up, I want to ask you a couple questions. What lessons do you need to learn in the storms that you are in right now? Are you going through the same storms of life? Is it maybe a financial storm, a relational storm? Is it maybe a storm of struggle and challenges that you're encountering that, that are just battering you? What steps of faith is Jesus asking you to take today, church, individually and also corporately. 
Let us pray. Father, as we come to the end of this message, I am again deeply humbled that you would use me, O oh God, to deliver your word to your people today. And Lord, it is my prayer that the words that were shared today would fall upon receptive hearts. And God, I believe that you are stirring us towards you. You're stirring our hearts towards a greater love for Jesus. And God, it's oftentimes through the challenges and difficulties that we go through the storms that cause us, oh God, to look to you with much more fervency. The reality, God, that we are simply passing through this earth and that there is a home, a destination where you are calling us, calling your children. But in the meantime, oh God, you've given us a mission. You've given us a purpose. And you're calling us, oh God, to step out in faith. God, I pray for Sunrise Community Church and Pastor Dennis, his family, and the leadership team here, that God, you will continue to be their vision as they lead this church in this area of Edmonton and the world. And God, that you would empower every believer here, oh God, with faith. Thank you, Father, that you're the one stirring us. Thank you, Jesus, that you're the one in our boat. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're within our hearts, helping us to keep our boat afloat. It's in your name we pray. Amen.